Welcome to the Inner Huddle, the podcast for parents and coaches to help children fulfill their potential both on and off the pitch. Welcome along to the Inner Huddle Series 2. I am joined, as always, by my friend and legend, Jeff Bonner from Wessex Futsal Club. And today we have a special guest. Um, previous guest of two times, um, Betsy Tuffery. How are you all doing? Yeah, good, Pez. Um, really good to be back. It's been a long time and it's great to be back with Betsy. How are you doing, Betsy? I'm good. Pleasure to be on as a returning guest. It's been a while, but nice to see you both. Nice to be here in person. And as always, we've had a few technical issues. <laughs> wouldn't, be, wouldn't be the same, would it, Jeff, without a few technical issues? So we're sharing a microphone. So hopefully it'll all... Uh, end up all right once we play it back but who knows um as always the format is going to be we have got sort of 10 to 12 questions here um that have been sent into us by people via social media etc and text and whatnot and um, we are going to try our best to um add some value to them um and that's why you're here betsy really <laughs> so you are um you're going to be our sort of resident sports psychologist going forward aren't you yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully uh, we've got many, many good ones to come. And um, also a little bit different for this series is um, we're going to have a couple of sponsors involved. And the first sponsor I've written here is Seed Psychology, which fits in really well, Betsy, because um, that's you. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so Seed Psychology is my company. Um, I'll do private consultancy with a number of different sports and athletes uh, through that so any anyone that wants to know more about that or get involved in having a chat with me then yeah seed psychology is the place to go great well we'll put all the links and details and that in the show notes that sounds really professional doesn't it jeff um right so jeff where have we been for the last two two and a half years you got married yeah this I, year i yeah. moved house yeah um, we were recovering from the pandemic and getting all our weekly sessions and things back up and running. So that's why there's been a big letter. I've written a book. Oh, this could keep Betsy, you've written a book I saw as well. Uh, well, I contributed a chapter to a book. Oh, okay. So less okay. less glamorous than your Well, at least uh, yours writing. is out. Mine's yeah. not. But um, <laughs> we'll get to that because it's one of, the, one of the questions shortly. So how's married life, Jeff? Uh, yes, very good actually. Yes, Pez. Thank so you. I'd have been about a month. Did you enjoy well, the wedding? I, the bits I can remember of your wedding, Jeff, I enjoyed very, very much. Thank you. And we just found out Betsy's got a new puppy as well. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so a new, new member of the clan, keeping me on my toes. Brilliant. So we're all good and we're all happy. So let's see if we can add some value to some of these questions. I have written a few notes. Jeffrey won't have done, but you've got them in front of you on your phone, haven't you? Yeah. And uh, you've got some there as well. All good, right. So we just crack straight in then. Yeah, let's do it. Right. Question number one. And I think this one's actually um, for me, really. But it's how's the book coming along and what's the hardest chapter you've written in the book? Um, the book um, is finished, which is great. But it's been finished for quite some time. Um, had I realised that dealing with literary agents um, and publishers was as difficult as dealing with football managers and football agents then I might have gone a different route with it but it's been very tricky it is finished but I think I'm probably going to go down the self-publishing route with it eventually but that 
takes a lot of time, but that's where we're at with it. Um, hardest chapter, I had a little think about that last night, and it was the children's rights chapter. So there's probably the longest chapter as well on the rights of children and their right to play football for whatever reason they want to. So some want to be professionals and some just want to come and hang out with their friends. Um, some want to spin around and pick daisies and things and the conflicts that that can, can have between the different wants of the parents and the coaches and the parents of the other um, children in the team. So it was really quite a complicated chapter and one that I wanted to get right. So look out for that one. Cool. That was all about me, wasn't it? I was didn't really want to go straight into that. I need your help, Jeff. Right. Question number two. I saw a Facebook post you put out about intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. Can you explain more? And this was a post that I put out a, a little while ago. Again, it was something to do with the book. But Betsy, it might be time to bring you in really on intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. Yeah, that sounds my domain. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Phew. Yeah, so intrinsic intrinsic motivation essentially is is motivation from um, within the self. So, for example, um, playing sport or doing activity because you feel enjoyment or pride or a sense of achievement yourself. Extrinsic motivation is more about something external to you that's that's a motivator, I guess. So whether that's reward for some footballers, potentially financial reward, um, sort of respect or, uh, or almost that pride someone else feels in you. So an external, mm -hmm. something external to yourself really. And I was thinking about this this morning um, when I was going through the questions and there's, there's a nice link there between intrinsic motivation and autonomy, which is kind of how we, when we have choice and we kind of back our own behaviours, um, we engage in our behaviours because we want to. Um, whereas the opposite to that would be like feeling compelled or controlled to do something, um, which you, I'm sure you guys have seen that mm, in yes. young young players. Of, can you see that they are wanting to participate for their own joy, their own sense of achievement, um, their own enjoyment of the sport, or whether they're doing it because they are compelled by something or someone else, or they're striving to be a footballer for monetary reasons, etc. And there's not really a lot of sports psychology literature would say that intrinsic motivation is more more valuable more sustainable better essentially um i think just as long as you understand where your motivations come from is is the most important thing i've worked with young footballers who are really motivated by monetary reasons because perhaps they come from a really underprivileged background mm -hmm. and that's not that's for no one to say that's a bad bad reason um so yeah, I guess that's my initial take. I don't know if you've got any comments to add on that. Yeah, I mean, the financial side doesn't come into probably a little bit older, does it? The mm. sort of, I deal with children from sort of reception year to school year six and you're sort of school year five and above, right up to adults, aren't you? So that might come in a little bit later, but intrinsic to the ones I see, I see a lot of the kids are motivated by actually wanting to improve and learn new skills but they might be motivated just by making new friends. And like you've just said, any intrinsic reason is, is correct because it's their own personal um, reasons for doing it. So you can't sort of judge it. It's more the extrinsic ones that I worry about. 
sort of rewards from parents or trying to make parents happy or because dad might have played or mum might have played um, and if I play well I might get a McDonald's or I might get some extra pocket money and it's those kind of external motivators that we've come across Jeff that you know anything that affects someone's decision making so if a kid's maybe getting uh, a pound a goal which happens quite a lot or five pounds a goal I've seen and even more then it affects a child's decision making on the pitch which affects their development because they're going to be greedier and they're going to shoot from all angles and and you know even even the extrinsic motivator of doing it just for the love of your parents it can become really complicated and horrible as some parents only as some children only feel valued when they've played well or they've scored or they've won something and they they um the love of their parents gets sort of entangled with with their activity which can be quite nasty can't it jeff yeah this is um this is the sort of thing we'll have a phone conversation for for about an hour when we've <laughs> called each other up about something completely different isn't it and um it's for me it it quite nicely links to that first question um where you said your hardest chapter was around children's rights yeah um so i don't know if i'm putting words in your mouth but did you conclude that there's not really a right or wrong reason a bit like what betsy had just explained for why someone's at pezza street soccer sessions um as long as they're there and they're happy and they're safe and they're enjoying it yeah um, it's exactly that it's um you know one child who wants to be a professional footballer has got every right to have that dream going back to children's rights um, whereas a, a child who's just turned up because his mate goes he's got every right to be there as well but that can cause conflicts within a team because there's lots of different motivators and uh, it's, it's interesting because when I think about my season with Wessex Futsal Club we asked all the players why they were there at the start of the season and I probably should have done it individually and on a feedback form that was mm. more anonymous but we did it as a group purely because of time constraints and how much time we actually get with the players and away from training sessions um, and I thought we would get more extrinsic things coming out we had just been promoted to tier one so games would be live on BT Sport um, and showpiece events with lots of people watching from home and, and if it's not live on BT Sport it's live streamed on YouTube and I thought we'd get all these answers and it was more I'm here because I want to be challenged um, and and the things that I kind of wanted to hear and we had a list on the whiteboard that we wrote at training and we put them either side if they're intrinsic or extrinsic and I think the people that didn't put their hands up and give an answer probably knew they were there for an Instagram post an extrinsic mm -hmm. reward and and that thing that we've talked about a lot in the past those feel good factors that short and not long term um, and I, I'd have a guess that the players that were there at the start of the season for those reasons aren't there with us now at the end of the season after it's been a really long tough hard slog where we've won one game at home in tier one mm -hmm. and got one draw away it's not so in many Derby. instant rewards there no, are and it, you've, you've got to keep showing up and we've been saying all season you know a winner's just a loser who keeps, keeps turning up and that's been our mantra if you like what I've noticed is though you've developed um, a great team spirit there because of that adversity yeah. so you might have 
lost a few of the ones that are there for a bit of the glory and the BT sports and all that kind of stuff and developed a really core group of wonderful lads really aren't they yeah great great group I think what you can just add on to that I think what you can see in probably in children of younger ages as well is how you can use initially what might seem like an extrinsic source of motivation to maybe dig a bit deeper so for for a really young footballer it might be they want that medal or they want that physical reward from from a tournament or a game and that's an extrinsic motivator and then it's kind of tapping into that okay well you know how would you feel if you if you got that victory and almost allow them to see you know I would really enjoy that and actually it wouldn't matter if I if I didn't get that medal although that's what I'm striving for so you can you can kind of play across the two yeah and I think from a coach's point of view and and parents it's then explaining to the child that that's an outcome and to get to that outcome there's a process and then you explain what the process looks like and you have to do all the controllable things and some things are outside of your control and you might not get the outcome but you've still done everything you can to strive towards it mm-hmm. um, that's a big part of what we do right should we move on to question three yeah happy cool right glasses on question three my child is junior school age and plays for a local team in the junior premier league we're informed by text on a friday if he's been selected to play in the team at the weekend he gets real anxiety about being selected to the point where he even has to sleep in our bed on the Thursday evening. We like the team, but we're worried about the impact it's having on his mental health. Do you have any thoughts or advice that can help? Um, I might just bat this one straight over to you, Betsy, because this might be a bit more up your street. You caught me off guard then. You said Betsy and you were looking at Jeff. So I thought I was It's this sharing microphone thing. It's really throwing me. Um, so yeah, when I read this through, I think the first thing I'd say is let's not firstly assume why he's, he's feeling anxious. Um, because it's easy to look at that question and think, and I don't know who's written that and what the maybe preconceived ideas of that might be. Mm-hmm. It's easy to think, oh, you know, that, that child is maybe anxious about being selected and playing. But it might be that that child is anxious about not knowing what he's doing in that game, whether he's selected or not. It might just be that. It might be that he's actually indifferent about whether he plays or not. It's that anxiety about getting the text or Mm -hmm. being informed and not knowing what his plans are. It could could be that. It could be that sense of... I'm anxious because I'm anxious about playing if I'm selected or or it's really, really important to me to get selected. Or it might be actually I'm anxious about not about failing and not being not being selected potentially. So I think the first thing I'd say is let's not assume why he might be feeling that way. Mm-hmm. And that's easier said than done for parents listening to try and get to that information. But I think that would be the first goal. Okay, can can we understand better? what's what's the anxiety about specifically um but i think i think in terms of advice it's maybe um asking a few more questions about how how he feels when he is playing or you know what is it like for him when he's selected how important is that and maybe getting a bit of conversation out there first um i don't know if you guys have ever experienced players that you've coached that that feel that sense of anxiety at being selected, not being selected, or how you felt in terms of delivering that selection news? Yeah, it's different for me, because when I've run teams, I've always had the rule that everyone gets 
equal playing time. So we've I've never had to tell a child that they're not selected to play. Um, not start a game, yes, but then we sort of always rotated it around to make it fair. So mm-hmm. it's not something I've had first-hand experience of other than I've had to coach a lot of children at the soccer school who are in teams that this happens. Um, and I don't like it. I always think if my child was getting anxiety um, because of something that was happening at school, I would really look to find out why and try and get it sorted. Whereas in football, it seems to be accepted a little bit more, maybe. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the way it is. The texts go out on a Friday, we'll deal with it. Whereas if it was something to do with school, if a teacher was giving my child anxiety at school or a certain lesson, then I'd be asking for a meeting and speaking to the teacher head a year maybe and the child himself to find out you know to get to the bottom of it whereas at football we seem to just sort of gloss over it a little bit and say well, that's how it is you know i'll be selected or you're not i don't you think jeff um there's a few things that i do with even the senior team that's you know everything we do is so men's team yes yeah. is performance based outcome based mm. so We've got a WhatsApp group, but I don't ever put the team squad in there. I do. I message that all individually mm-hmm. because I think those conversations should be private. And I don't know. I don't know what you think of this, Betsy, but it's it's almost a little bit like an an adults doing what they know from when they were playing as a player, and that's you know they just got told you're not in the team, and as an adult you just have to accept that. Um, it just reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons where Homer becomes the football coach and he's going around with a clipboard telling people, Millhouse, you're cut. <laughs> and he looks like he's enjoying it. Um, and I'm not saying that's what's going on and it might be that this, this coach is really pressed for time and it gets towards the end of the week and they're finding it really hard to make decisions on who's there and who's missing out and they might be struggling to even deliver these messages and don't have a a process in place to do it really well. And then... It makes me wonder, should should children's coaches be specialist children's coaches with a lot more knowledge about psychology and what the damages it can do? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. I know kind of playing into my hands about my topic there, but mm-hmm. I think um, the awareness of that's really important because <clears throat> any selection based issues, I see that loads in like senior adult athletes, and often that comes from what's maybe happened when they were younger, what selection and non-selection means, how it was delivered. Um, I think it's, you know, potentially a coach doesn't realise that there would be any lasting impact or any impact at all from sending a text on a Friday night, for example. Um, It might be worth, depending on what kind of relationship um, the person that's asked this question has with with the team and with the coach, of actually just just opening up about that and saying you know I'm finding that he's you know getting himself into a bit of a state I I say he do we know it's a he yes we do um that he's getting himself into a state the night before and it's having an impact and actually it might be that the coach can tailor something different um yeah but I think I think in terms of the crux of the issue I would I would want to probably get a bit more context if possible from the child about what's what's really anxiety provoking what's most anxiety provoking about that is it the not knowing 
is it the um you know that I'm putting a lot of pressure on I have to be selected that sort of demanding language and as a parent you know appreciate you're not psychologists out there and it's hard enough when you are a psychologist Mm -hmm. to tease out that information um but can you pick up on any language you know are they really demanding I, I have to play if I don't play I'm a failure um I have to do well so that that really rigid like pressure based language can can give you a bit of a clue as to why maybe he's feeling as he is so all in all very complex question that there's lots of strands to there um, from a footballing point of view, I think if you're having to text children that they're not selected at the weekend, perhaps your squad's too big and you should be trying to get everyone involved. Um, I know it's a junior Premier League, um, but it's not the be-all and end-all to win these games, is it? And if you know to have players on the fringes all the time and not selected, maybe your squad's a, a bit too big. I mean, the kid's getting ang- anxiety, he's not playing, which means he's not developing or getting experience, he's not getting any better. It's doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, and if your squad is huge and you're having to do this, is there a duty of care to provide something extra? So find a decent local futsal club and come, <laughs> there's five players left over, you can play some 5v5 on a Saturday and just find an alternative where... Do you know what those kids actually might go and really enjoy that day and it was an opportunity that, that they wouldn't have got if the squad wasn't big and you could turn it into a massive positive yeah well lots of uh, lots of ideas there but I think like you say sort of trying to find out exactly the root cause of the anxiety um, and going from there well good luck with that one it's, um, it's, a, it's a real deep one wasn't it for our first uh, Three questions. Right, should we move on to question number four? Um, My son was on trial at a pro club. Although he did very well, he wasn't offered a place at the academy. He goes on constantly about trying again with an academy, but after the experience he had, I am very apprehensive about ever letting him try again. Do you think nine years old is too young to be thrust into such a high pressure environment? Unfortunately, whether we like it or not, that's the system, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it's. I think the the thing that jumps out at me with that question is um, into the high pressure environment. I think a uh, academy, you know, especially we're talking about nine years old, ten years old, eleven yeah. years old. It, it shouldn't really be a high pressure environment. What is it that's making it a high pressure environment? Mm-hmm. It, you know, I think that's the key, isn't it? Yeah, like how how a coach is dealing with dealing with players at that age. It's. It is unfortunately a bit of a, um, it's the nature of the beast with pro academies and the setup of children in football that, that young. Well, the, the children know they're either going to get accepted or not. So there's pressure there regardless. So parents can try and keep the pressure off. The, I know the academies are, are much better now at trying to make it more fun and less pressure. But the kids at the end of the day know, don't they? Um, at the end of this, I'm either going to get accepted as a yes or no, and I suppose it's then how they handle that pressure that they've kind of put on themselves, I guess, and whether they feel like a a failure afterwards if it doesn't work out. But parents can do a lot there, can't they, to to take the, the pressure off them, that regardless of the outcome, you know, they still love them and mm-hmm. there's still other opportunities, and it, it's just another 
part of your experience and development as a footballer, whatever the outcome. Yeah, I think I worked recently with a, a young player who um, was released from a professional academy and there was very much like an assumption of, I have to get back in somewhere else, otherwise I can't make it. It was, you know, that it was clear as day in, in his mind that that was the process. And I think it's, there's so many players that either got released from academies and still ended up to have career, you know, and we're talking about players here that go on to have careers and that's not the reason why a lot of these listeners, children will play football, no. you know, it isn't all about that anyway. But even if that's the primary aim or the primary focus, the um, it's it, it's not it's not just a linear process. You, you're in an academy at nine and you go on to progress, and there's no other way. I've recently worked with a, a much older player, you know, twenty years old, <clears throat> who wasn't wasn't scouted or picked up to go into an academy until that age, and is now in a Premier League academy, um, so or a Premier League setup, I should say. So it's there's no I think it's 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 making that clear to the child as well that even at nine you might have been in that setup and now you're out there's it's not, it's not all downhill from there. No, and that experience, um, I presume it'll be a six week trial. That experience can hold you in good stead later down the line at fifteen, sixteen. If the opportunity ever comes again, you've already had a crack at it once and and hopefully learnt things from it. It is nice to see, though, that actually it sounds like the the person asking this question isn't isn't really keen on pushing the child back into an academy, which is something you do sometimes see. That if a child drops out of a system somewhere, that it's actually the parents trying to go, oh, "I've got to get got to get him back in somewhere else. Got, got to keep on it." Yeah, well, they get quite used to and enjoy the status that comes with it, and I know a lot of them would wouldn't like to um to hear that but they do with their facebook posts and their instagram posts of oh we're traveling to play west ham today and we're up against arsenal and my lad scored against man united and it does happen and then suddenly it's gone um and they get a bit addicted to that dopamine hit that they were getting so we've got to get them back in somewhere Mm -hmm. we need to do something um it's a bit of a minefield isn't it jeff yeah i just wonder if let's see might have any tips to stop parents falling into that trap like one thing I do is if I think oh should I really be putting that on social media is I just put it in my phone notes and then mm-hmm. I feel like I've I've done whatever it was I needed to do um, I don't know if you've got any advice that would help a parent maybe stop before they yeah, jump th- on their f- and, and end up down this mm-hmm. I think road. a stop and think process is always good I mean it's good with a lot of things isn't it yeah. <laughs> stop, yeah. stop before you act um, easier said than done um, but I think just just maybe asking a few key questions as the parent of because most of this stuff is, is re- done in really good nature you know they're proud of their children yeah. they want to um, share successes and um, stories and, and all of that kind of thing maybe with a lack of awareness of you know how does that get interpreted by the child either in that moment or looking back of oh you know mum and dad want to post about about me and everyone's really proud of me and everyone is talking about me and I'm the friend at school that's in an academy and I hear all these things sometimes I think social media can be unhelpful with that so I think a stop and think is probably actually your good advice Jeff which is good yeah, Jeff where'd that come from <laughs> probably you at some point oh, yeah, probably me yeah <laughs> something I read somewhere no doubt um right 
Great question though, and again, another one we could probably do a whole podcast on just on the pro game. But we've got a few to get through, so let's move on to question number five. And again, it's one that's directed to me. Um, I enjoyed your quote about reframing your praise to include the backstory. Can you give me some examples? I did have the quote somewhere. Um, oh yeah, I said reframe all your praise to include the backstory. It's a game changer. Um, and basically, it's about not just praising the outcome of something, um, but the process that it took. So an example might be if your child scores a goal with their weak foot, so say my lad would be his left foot. So rather than just going, oh, well done, you scored a goal today and giving him a fiver, like happens a lot, you could praise the backstory behind that. So it might say, well done, son, you've practiced so hard recently on your weaker foot you really deserve that so you're just putting in a bit of a a backstory about the process um and you can do it with sort of characteristics as well so you could say something along the lines of you could praise them for determination so oh you got your rewards today for being really determined and resilient and just throwing a little bit extra in there other than just praising the outcome of a goal or a win or any other sort of success and you probably know a lot more about this than me Betsy yeah I think yeah it's really good spoken like a true psychologist Pez Um, I've read a bit (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think just to add on to that you can also um, be really strategic about doing that with like failures as such so if you see um, your own your own child has you know had a shot on goal and the keeper saved it you know, maybe they maybe it was spot on decision making. You know, how can we like commend the process even when a failing has happened? So, because um, we can get stuck in what I call like a bit of an incorrect feedback loop. When things go well, the outcome's good, so everything else must have been good. And when things haven't gone well, then you know things leading up to that must have not been good as well. But how many times can we identify situations that you know maybe it was a miss, um, maybe. Uh, some some kind of outcome didn't come off but actually it was absolutely the right decision Mm. um or it's been something that's been worked on really hard in training sessions so it's important to look at that as well in terms of things that haven't gone well too yeah i think that's a brilliant point i've seen that a lot where you know a child will try a eye of the needle pass and it doesn't quite work and you know everyone will groan oh like and they think i won't try that again because it got a groan and it didn't it was a failure so you need to really praise the idea and you know the idea behind the move it's just the the decision was great just the execution wasn't quite right and you can practice the execution can't you there's also some situations where the execution might be <clears throat> might be fine but the opposition like we're playing an open sport here where there's other True, people yeah. that want to win so if there's if you're facing it's quite difficult to think about in football but it happens um if there's you know really strong defender in in opposition that gets a great tackle in you know that can be demoralizing depending on what's happened in the lead up and it might be a case of I'm not going to try that again that didn't work but actually maybe everything was completely right and the outcome wasn't there but you know you've got someone else that also wants to win yeah anything from you Jeff no it's just one of those things it's quite a skill as a coach isn't it to pick those moments and how you phrase your feedback and I think one that I've heard you say a lot is 
I could see what you tried there. And that's almost a praise in itself, isn't it? You've recognised what they're trying. Yeah, because ultimately the sport boils down to decision making. So you don't want to squash ideas and decisions that might be good later on, that they just might not have the strength in their legs for a 30-yard cross-field ball or something, but the idea was good. So you don't want to put it into their heads that that was a bad idea. Let them know it was a good idea. We just haven't quite got the execution right yet. I've got a question for Betsy. It's not... It is around this, really, I think. I think, Bez, you feel quite strongly that sometimes... How can I phrase this? A lot of places say get as many different varied experiences as you can, have as many different coaches as you can. Um, but sometimes if you're going to get coaches that are giving mixed messages and aren't doing this and thinking about it as deeply as you have, you might not always be so keen for players to go and experience lots of different coaches, isn't it? Mm. And that's probably going to link into a question that's coming later on, actually, when I skim read them over. So I don't know, what do you think about that, Betsy? I think, um, I don't know whether I'm directly answering your question here, but as, as you were talking, I was thinking, this is where actually parents can help um, and work with, particularly if they're aligned with the coach, you know, so they've got a, a, a coach like Pez who is going to pick up on, you know, I can see what you tried there and those kind of things, which are, that's a super helpful comment to make. But parents can help in that reflective process of, you know, instead of just saying, you know, oh, you did well today because there was, you know, their, their son or daughter played well or because the team won. It's actually trying to help your child to reflect. So that's a skill that, you know, I work with adults that don't do that too well. So don't, don't you know, expect huge amounts. But starting to encourage your children to do that is really helpful and to pick apart, you know, actually, and you might not phrase it as detailed as this, but how is your decision making today? You know, what did you try and do the right things or what was what were your processes like and how did that come come off so that there is a bit of a distinction between um, this is what actually happened that you might want to reflect on was good and bad. But let's look at about about things in a bit more detail about, oh, you know, that shot that you missed. What, what was that like? Was your te- technique good? And, and almost get some of that reflection at home. I think I've, I wrote in the book. Um about asking your child for two or three things that they felt they did well in a match or enjoyed in a match. And when they get to 13, like my boy, you're lucky to get any sort of communication (laughs) from them, but it's not a bad idea. And then you just ask for one area that they think they might not have done so well at or could improve at just to get the sort of conversation going. I think that was more of a section of the parents who love to analyse the match on the way home in the car um because they tend to be all negative 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 picking out all the the things that haven't gone well so if you can start with you know what do you think went well what did you enjoy uh, and then so you're is it something like three positives to every negative you should aim for or even more yeah i'm i'm probably not as prescriptive as that i think it's also it can be helpful to just get one positive and then say okay and why Right. Okay. So, so say for instance, you ask your child, um, "What went well today?" Okay. Well, I um, I dribbled well today. Okay. Well, what what helped you to do that today? And maybe maybe you then get a bit of information. Oh, I practiced that a lot in the past couple of weeks, and then you can reward that. Um, 
and you know what didn't go so well or you know, my first touch wasn't very good okay well why what might have what might have led to that oh I wasn't really concentrating or I didn't eat my Weetabix or you know whatever it yeah. is and you get a bit bit of a deeper layer so I'd, I'd, I wouldn't worry too much about trying to get it really right as a parent you know I've got to ask three good things yeah. I've got to only get one um and, you, and your child might bring more than one negative or want to start with negative and I don't I don't think there's always a right or wrong with that let, let them have that space to reflect but try and help them to frame frame some positives I guess it's you know trying to get the positives and then with any negative finding a controllable element to it so something Mm-hmm. If it is a first touch was poor today, well, how do you think you can go away and improve that for next time mm-hmm. and get them to come up with some positive answers, um, controllable answers for improvement? Why is a very powerful question, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah. Isn't there a book? The Power of Why. The Power of Why, yeah. yeah. Cool, right. Cool. I'd like to say we're flying through them, but... Oof. Question number six. Ready? Ready. Is the rise of so-called academy teams killing off grassroots football? Jeffrey. Do you want to clarify what so-called yeah, academy teams? Yeah, th- this one came in this week. Um, I won't name him, James. But, um, uh, yeah, so-called academy. I think this is obviously to do with a lot of... Um, sort of business side setting up and calling themselves academies or um, giving off that vibe that they're a level above grassroots football where in fact they're all really grassroots teams aren't they it's just sort of branded in different ways Um, the question are there so-called academy teams killing off grassroots football Um, I think it's far more serious than it needs to be with all of these sort of elite teams popping up all over the place. Um, and I do think it's probably decreased the standard, especially locally. Um, the reason being is I think that with a certain amount of players all trying to get into these elite teams, or as he said, so-called academy teams, um, there's now an emphasis for these teams to win games to attract these players because there's not a massive pool of players, is there, Jeff? So if the focus is always on winning games to attract players, then the focus naturally shifts by default away from development Um, because you can be developing kids, but if you're losing five or six nil every week, then a parent will move their kids out to the other academy team because... Let's have it right. A lot of these academy teams charge sort of seventy to hundred pounds a month to be there. So if your team's getting beaten, then parents are naturally going to take their kids to a, a different place because they're spending all this money. Um, and a lot of parents can only judge development by how the team's doing and how their kids playing and whether they're winning and whether their kids scoring. It's going to be as black and white as that. So as soon as it the emphasis goes on to recruitment. And results, development suffers, which I think has led to a decrease in the standard locally of players. But I might be wrong, Jeff. I don't know what you think. I don't get out and see that much grassroots football these days, so I couldn't comment about the standard. But 
Maybe not the standard of team, because standard a lot of these of teams are uh, quite okay. well drilled and they know how to win games and get the best out of what they've got. So it's very, um, it's like a mini version of adult football. You yeah. know, we've got we've got a big striker, we've got a quick winger, we'll play to their strengths and we'll try and win and get teams turned or we'll play to the big man. It's very like adult. So I think the standard of individual players has dropped that I've seen. Right, and I, personally, I I don't think you're going to create the environments for those individuals if this sounds like a business model to me and very almost Americanized and um, about making money and getting as many children in as possible. From it's like the little league in baseball, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's a good Everyone example. wants to be in it, but with the little league, I think it's something like only... 54 players have ever gone from little league to big league something like that to major league basketball and all the years it's been going and the the rest have been focusing on their individual skills and having fun whilst doing it I expect you know not an expert in that but it was just a stat I saw the other day on on, on, um, baseball which um, reminded me of, of this a little bit I don't know if you've got anything to add on that Betsy um, I'm probably not best place because I would, I would only really have had experiences in, um, sort of professional club academy teams. Yeah. Um, but I have worked with a few players who have been involved in so-called academy teams. <laughs> um, and yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't always bode well that you've got that almost dressing up as elite. And it, it, what you said there, Pez, actually, I, I wouldn't know in terms of seeing seeing it, but that sort of adult style and probably moving away, trying to be like the elite performance team rather than development. Yeah. And actually just looking at performance in the moment is probably not very helpful for a for a younger player. Um, yeah. But sadly, that's happened by default. Because like I say, there's only a, a certain amount of children that play football and only a certain amount of the standard that these teams want so they're all fighting over the same few players um, and it's given power to the parents really to then well if my kid's not playing or um, or we're losing games I'll just take him to the next elite one next door um, to try and win games and you get a lot of parents take their children around all these to try them all um, to you know looking for something that I don't know maybe not there but it, it must be a minefield for these parents um, when these teams are branded so well and you know they all talk about development but everybody kind of knows if they're bottom of the league or losing every week then players are going to leave and that's when they're actually going to start focusing on development isn't it because they'll be left with the players that really have to develop that's the crux of it absolutely yeah again another very difficult question to answer again we probably need a whole podcast on elite leagues and things like that and grassroots football grassroots football special how about that sounds good to me Pez alright good I'll organise that cheers Jeff you're invited right question number seven is the pressure at a young age leading to kids burning out sooner which is putting them off the game and adding to the demise of the local amateur game. You're looking at me, but I, I, I am looking at probably you. Probably be good if 
Betsy. Well, the word pressure, the word pressure is, is good. Because then we can bat that over <laughs> to Betsy, can't we? <laughs> pressure and burnout. <laughs> pressure and burnout. Oh, yeah, that's definitely psych language, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, I think it, it probably links to some of the stuff we've said already in terms of that perception of like being in an academy and things like that, how that pressure looks to, to play as burnout early, you get child involved, even in you know pre-academy age. Um, I think there is there is something in this for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, imagine you start work from 10. You know, you're gonna be pretty bored with work and the, the monotony that comes with going to repeat the same things, earn a living, <clears throat> you know, not, you're not necessarily doing that for enjoyment, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you can apply similar principles to um, young players that um, particularly go into sort of academy setups that maybe that enjoyment isn't there and there is a lot of pressure. And then they sustain that for nine years or only 18 years of age at that point. And what have they been through in those nine years? Has it been quite intense? Has it been you know, mentally challenging, physically challenging, less enjoyable. Um, so there is, I'm not I'm not saying that's the same for everyone's journey, but I think there is some caution to be had there. Um, you know, piling a lot of pressure externally from parents sometimes, pressure from clubs, academies, but also pressure from, you know, the young child to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in an academy, I'm wearing the gear, I'm training at the training ground. I just want to go on and be a footballer, for example is I, I think always going to lead to a degree of burnout yeah so in the in the professional environment that you're talking about the pressure must be massive I don't think unless you've been a child in that environment you really necessarily can understand I mean all the games are filmed and everything and then mm-hmm. sat down you have to watch your games back analyze them um, must be incredible you just don't want to make a mistake I think some of that's handled really well um, ironically, and this might be interesting, <laughs> some of the better um, equipped younger children that I've seen in academies are those with parents who are either ex-professionals or potentially still playing. Okay, that's interesting. So I think there's there's something in that in terms of those parents knowing, you know, this. I think it, it sounds a bit flippant, but if you if you have a child in an academy, like there's not really anything in that. If that's great and you can celebrate that to a point, but it doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't mean no. they're going to be a footballer. It doesn't mean they're in the top, you know, 100 young children in the country. It doesn't actually really tangibly mean a great deal. It's just that's the situation they're in. They've maybe earned a spot through being picked up or whatever. And yeah, enjoy that and, and try and strive and, and, and whatever they're wanting to achieve out of that. But I think, yeah, I've seen... Um, you know, high-level professionals have children in, in academies from the age of nine to eighteen, and actually they handle it very well. So whether there's an awareness from the the parent and player player side of things that, you know, nothing's taken for granted. This doesn't mean anything, and actually I know how damaging this could potentially be. I see a lot of pressure with the um, academy lads actually, that from their friends because their friends still play for a grassroots team, and they might be doing really well or making new friends and. Um, you know, end of season tours and end of season presentations and all these things that they kind of miss out on and I've seen a lot of players want to leave pro academies they just want to go and play with their friends for a bit um, which again is another sort of pressure just when Betsy was talking then there's a brilliant photo of Messi and Suarez at um, Barcelona's training ground where they, both their kids are playing in the same team 
and they both got their shorts and t-shirt on and flip-flops with their feet up just having a chat and not really even paying attention I don't think to the game yeah. that's going on and is that the picture at all academies up yeah. and down the country with parents I don't know yeah I, I don't think so no but pressure can come from all sorts of different angles I, I, it was James that sent this one in again so I think he's actually referring to more grassroots pressure or the pressure of getting into the so-called academies because he sent both questions in together so um, it might be slightly different what he's looking for but I'm going to throw one in there this um, a burnout um, I think some parents burn out too soon so they have a, a child who's doing okay and their Facebook and Instagram's full of every week scored this amount of goals doing really well you know when it's all nicey-nicey and you, they're all getting medals and things like that um, and they get to about the kid gets about 13 and 14 I think the parents are sometimes burnt out there's nothing left for them to say anymore there's no wonderful posts anymore every all the children sort of found their levels and not everyone's winning everything um, and they lose a bit of interest which I've seen quite a lot as well which is a shame that can actually be a sign of the parents getting a bit going back to what question two about intrinsic and extrinsic motivators and motivation how parents can sometimes get sucked into that yeah. actually they're externally motivated by the child's success and yeah. less about what they see in their their child's um, enjoyment and actually how, how much enjoyment they get from seeing their child play for example maybe their focus shifts onto you know I want my child to succeed I want them to be doing the best they can do I feel frustrated when they don't play well you know maybe if you if you recognize any of those kind of things in yourself maybe that's a bit of a warning sign of maybe maybe you're almost flipping over to that extrinsic you're motivated through through the success of of your child if that makes sense absolutely um and you see if you go and watch an under sevens game up to about under 11s everyone's all excited there's you know everyone's watching it's all packed out isn't it down one side of the pitch um and then you go and watch an under 14s under 15s under 16s there's hardly anyone there watching it's like the parents aren't bothered anymore because they've realized that actually this is their level it's not going to end up in pro academy level or anything like that and sort of their extrinsic motivators disappear from, so do they from experience that's about the point where I get approached by a parent to say all my child ever talks about is playing for a professional football club what have we got to do like as if there's I can just go right go away and do this this and this and they'll be in a professional football club mm. yeah. um, and I just wondered what Betsy's thoughts are on where that's coming from because I do think the child is probably at home talking about it all the time mm-hmm. but originally um, where that um, motivation is coming from what what are your thoughts on it and what what's a good answer to a parent that asks that question I think this might sound a bit brutal but I think ultimately it's not a profession you can just choose to go into you know you can't just say I think what I want to do is be a professional footballer so I, mm-hmm. I'll do everything that I can and I can I can get there somehow like it just isn't like that so it has to come from a place of like they enjoy they enjoy playing football. You know, I've I've had parent inquiries. Um, you know, can you work with my son? Can you work with my daughter? Because they, they, um, I'm, I don't really think they're enjoying the sport anymore. So the parent wants to push them back into enjoying it, and that's a bit of a um, dodgy ground. I think um, 
sorry, yeah, go back to your original question, Jeff, because I sort of sidetracked myself there. So the the point where the parent burnout is starting to yeah. kick in for most of the parents, and then you've got one or two that are left that are, seem very desperate for their child to realise their dreams, and yeah. they, they ask, what have they got to do? Because all they talk about is playing for a professional club. Yeah, I think... What's, de- what's an answer to that parent? Um, I think you've almost got to persuade the parent to control the controllables or allow their child to and maybe reframe the question that is can they get to the highest level that's their potential and maybe not yeah so so it's your question they ask you or they tell you my child my child keeps going on about all they talk about is playing for a professional club i don't know several times in the past two or three years actually that parents have approached me have you got a minute i've just got this question that's i've had two recently waiting to ask you where they've actually said so-and-so my child uh, has, has decided that they want to be a professional mm. um and you know how can i help you're like oh goodness gracious so it's it's complicated i've kind of taken you off the, no, the question there so, yeah I? i'm never going to remember am i no, no i think um refra- a bit of reframing is helpful to i guess maybe maybe a bit of a sense check and go okay well you know they can only do all they can so in terms of being it depends what position the child's in if they're if they're you know, maybe 15, 16, and they are playing somewhere where, you know, there are scouts around and things like that. You know, are they visible? Um, there's some probably pragmatic things you can point a parent to. You know, where where's your child playing at the moment? And, you know, are, can they be seen? And, and more of then, I guess, the, what are they working on? Are they enjoying it? Where are they playing? Are they playing regularly? Are they consistent with their behaviours? It's... It's not a straightforward question, is it? No, it's very in-depth and complicated, isn't it? It's, I think um, in terms of burnout, sorry to interrupt you, parents, as well. The, in player and um, parent, there might, there might be something in this for another podcast because there's a lot of stuff. Well, I've done a lot of stuff recently on like psychological recovery. So how you can encourage your child to almost recover, not just physically, but how can you um, encourage them to kind of digest and process a game, move on, you know, so it doesn't ruin their weekend or it doesn't ruin yeah. your weekend or if you're the parent that's maybe um, feeling like you're going to get a bit burnt out, how are you actually processing and moving on from games and things like that? So there's there's another topic there. That would be very interesting. I have a section of that in the book as well. Perhaps you should read my book, tear it to pieces, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll rewrite it. Right, I think we should probably move on with that one because um, we've only done seven. Um, this one I'm hoping is going to be slightly easier because I've already got the answer for it. So number eight, when the boys get older and squad sizes increase, i.e. moving from nine aside to 11 aside at under 13s, do academies also increase their squad numbers or will they already have the players they need for 11 aside? I guess what I'm asking is, do they have a recruitment drive and scout new players for the bigger squads? And that came in from Richie. Um, so I wasn't sure about this, so I spoke to my friend James Baxter. I don't know if you know James Baxter. I know James Baxter very well. Yeah, he was at Brighton at the same time as you, wasn't he? Yes. Um, so yeah, so James well, used to work with me at Southampton Football Club many, many years ago, and then he was at Brighton. I think he went to Portsmouth for a while, I'm not sure. But he's now an agent with CAA-based agency. So I said, if you want this, I'll uh, give your agency a little name drop. So there we are. Um, and he's said, uh, most academies especially Category 1 clubs, will carry enough numbers in the foundation phase to feed to field 
two times 7v7 or 9v9 squads. So therefore, when you get to the youth development phase and 11v11, they already have the numbers. So you can read that either way, that no, there's not a recruitment drive, or I like to think there's probably always a massive recruitment drive all the way through and it never stops, but it, it seems to be steady and doesn't change. He also added, another factor is the recruitment restrictions open up when the players enter the youth development phase from an hour to an hour and a half. So that's the traveling distance. Um, this allows clubs to recruit further afield and have more selections from grassroots and purchases from other academies. So you can be an under eight, get to um, the next phase when it goes 11 v 11 and suddenly you're competing with children that are an hour and a half away coming in to get your place. So it's, again, quite a pressure environment. Um, but to answer the question, no, there doesn't appear to be a specific extra recruitment drive as the um, as the size of the, the aside, if you like, to 11 aside increases. I don't know if anyone's got anything they want to add to that. I don't, um, but it was a good question. It's well answered by James. It was a good question. Thank you, James. Great. That's the simplest one yet. Perhaps we should outsource all these questions. <laughs> uh, number nine. My daughter has been playing football with you at Pezzas for some time now. I presume that's me. She absolutely loves it and now feels she's ready to join a team. Do you recommend a girl's, a girl's only team or a mixed one? And again, this could probably go a little bit more in depth with. Um, for me, I've always said, and I don't know whether I should, but I quite like the girls to play um, in boys teams for as long as they possibly can. And it's changing now, but when we first started getting girls getting involved, there wasn't a bigger pool of girls to choose from. So when you got seven or eight together to form a team, um, they weren't of a particularly great standard. And so if a girls can play in a boys team for as long as possible, it can help with their development. But now it is changing slightly because there's a lot more girls playing football, which is great. And the standards getting much better. So it's a really difficult one to answer. What do you think, Jeff? Well, it's a cliche, but every journey will be different, won't it? So if a daughter, if your daughter comes to you and say, right, I'd like to play for an all girls team, that's the right time for them to go and play for an all girls team, isn't it? And but like you said, if, if if they can do both and carry on with their, if they're originally in a mixed team, then then great because they're keeping friendships going, keeping developing and doing, doing all the things that they were already doing. Yeah, I suppose you have to take each one on its own merit, don't you? And maybe yeah. try it. Try them both. I mean, we had Casey, didn't we, in my team? He was the only girl and was absolutely brilliant. And um, loved having her in the team. And then she did eventually end up in the girls-only team and they've done absolutely amazing and over New Street. Yeah. Um, so she's had both ways and really, really enjoyed it. I mean, and if you have to think of things about the friendships um, and, you know, I know Casey's team do a lot of extra stuff outside of the actual football. So I think you really need to have a look at what's available and judge them on their own merit. I think the question's specifically directed at which is going to help my daughter be a better player. But again, okay. it's pretty difficult to 
to answer, isn't it? I don't know if you've got any thoughts on it at all, Betsy. Um, I think probably the only thing I'd throw in there is, you know, what what your daughter's feelings. Like, if it's going to be a reluctance, maybe, to carry on playing in a mixed team, then, like, consider that in terms of, like, what conditions are good for her to thrive in. Um, Has she got a a preference? Because that might have an impact on the longevity of what comes next. So just maybe just a consideration for that. I think with it is, because obviously I know the girl... um, because I've coached her and she's actually very, very good. And I think the question's more because they're worried that if they make a wrong decision, it could hold her back with her development um, because she's doing really, really well. But without knowing the specific teams and stuff, it's a, it's very difficult because there's some really good girls' teams out there now, aren't there? Yeah. So try and, try and find both um, and have a little look and see what she wants to do, as Betsy said, and is mo- most comfortable with. And again, I'm going to say, um, see if there's any girls, only futsal out there, because I think that would be the best environment. And um, and also the FA National Futsal Series have done a brilliant job where everything is literally equal. The, the women's tier one plays on a Saturday, exactly the same live streams, exactly the same BT Sport. Um, is the men's that follows on a Sunday and it's all the, exactly the same setup, just one day before. Um, and there's some great opportunities for women's and girls to get involved. And now would be probably the best time to do it. Women's sports flying, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. Watching um, the uh, Katie Taylor fight the other night and stuff as well, and the boxing. It's um really, really good time. It is. I'm working with a women's professional cricket team oh, at the minute. Um, yeah, and it's great to see how women's cricket is really coming on yeah i'd heard what? that was um like an upcoming mm. sport yeah there's a lot of cricket a lot of investment from the ecb going into women's cricket and obviously the hundreds been great as well in terms of um getting sort of an exciting format out there as well for for people to enjoy it's, watch it's it. like some sort of barriers being broken through mm. now and mm. basically all they need is someone to back it a little bit and throw some investment at, at any of these sports and mm-hmm. they'll they'll succeed now that a few people have managed to break this barrier down. It's Culturally, it feels like people are doing rather than just saying now, doesn't it? Not just talking about it. It feels like there's been a real movement. It's great. Yeah. Brilliant. Right, question number 10. And this will probably be the last one then as we've um, just gone over the hour mark. So, question 10. If a parent doesn't know how to find the right environment for their child or where the right place is and what that looks like, how can a parent help themselves and their children to make good choices on clubs, coaches, and teams? Wow, that is quite um, in-depth, isn't it? Um, How can we help parents help themselves and their children to make good choices on clubs, coaches, and teams? I've got a bit of a controversial comment on this one, potentially. Because I'm scrambling here. I've written a few notes, but... So when I read that, I think, um, and I know I'm coming at this probably from more of a professional academy situation, yeah. but so many players, particularly um, probably that that professional development phase, so that sort of 17s through to sort of B team, um, you will find yourself at some point in a situation where you do not like your coach or you do not enjoy something about that environment and you have to find a way to adapt mm-hmm. to that. So I think if I'm being controversial, 
you can you can make choices within reason I guess on what what teams you play for what coaches you surround yourself with um and what what teams you're playing for but actually it's a really good test sometimes to be involved in a team where there are challenges um and I know that probably isn't um well I think at some point if you're on that journey you are like you say you're going to find yourself inevitably in that situation so if you've had a bit of practice with dealing with adversity and things that you you know you're not quite happy with yeah then it's going to hold you in good stead isn't it yeah I think so I think there's a quote I always come back to or sort of an insight quote whatever you want to call it that when you when you think you're dealing with a difficult person or a difficult situation it tells you much more about yourself than it does about the personal situation you know why is it a struggle for you so say for example I work with a player who is very very quiet or you know not very emotional you know doesn't express a lot I would struggle with that but that's because I want disclosure and emotion and I want to see what Mm -hmm. that person's feeling and going through so often it often tells you a lot more about your own tolerances if that makes sense very interesting um i think this one's probably been written by a confused parent that just wants what's best for their child but they don't really know quite what that looks like that's how i've read it yeah no. now because there's so many options out there with i don't want to say it again but the so-called elite teams and there's loads of grassroots teams and people saying different things and there's some in different leagues and there's some that are winning things some that are not some that say they're all about development some that are all over social media winning everything and playing in supposed top leagues and it's going to be parents, a question that we're going to get till the end of time isn't it yeah because it is a real minefield to find it and i'm really glad betsy said what you said because i almost feel like culturally we're coming away from like if i wanted to do a club if I wanted to do something I start at the beginning and finish the season my parents wouldn't let me dip out if I oh, didn't enjoy it today because somebody said something about the way I look cause I, yeah. they'd make you stick it out to the end um, and I I don't know if there's a little bit of that in there as well as what you described that yeah wanting that perfection perfection in the situation like yeah. how do I find exactly and the right place for my real child life. no and I, I think as well there's probably a situation here where you guys will know much more about this than I will of there's so much choice that you almost get that like paralysis of yeah I, I, I don't know it's what to Netflix do it's a Netflix thing again isn't it yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it yeah you spend an hour trying to find something to watch and then sack it <laughs> off yeah, yeah or you waste so much time yeah. trying to seek what the right answer is so I think some uh, so my partner uses a phrase of me sometimes which is really infuriating at times but like there's no wrong decision yeah. so in some situations there's no wrong decision it's just better to decide and actually I'm going to come full circle and talk about that from a performance point of view as well there's so many times when I'll use like a traffic light analogy with players or, or athletes in, in various sports where if they're a bit crippled by decision making um, how can you go from you know when you're on red you're almost you're stopped you're soaking in all the information you can whatever the look that looks like in your sport on amber you're in that sort of active decision making right what's going on right now and what am i going to do and then when you're on green you're going there's no delay at the traffic lights you don't mull it over for five seconds when you're actually driving mm-hmm. a car you just you're going and you're committing to the decision that you've made and although that's not directly relatable in here i think there's something in that when we feel a bit conflicted with lots of different decisions lots of different choices yeah, just know that each one's going to throw up 
whichever place you take is going to throw up their own challenges and then you deal with those challenges as and when they arise um, as part of their development. There won't be one place which is perfect for everybody. Um, I mean, I've written a few obvious things down like, you know, it's got to be fun and safe. And I always like places where there's good friendship groups. Um, I like teams that go on end of season tours and have barbecues and do a lot of fun stuff for the kids because actually when they all get to be adults that's the things they remember yeah and they look back on and then you know should want that for for their kids no pressure and and somewhere where they're going to improve all those things only happen if everyone buys into and fully commits again don't they so um it might be about finding the right group it might not even be about the environment so much was it if you've got the right group of people then they're all buying into it then all those things are probably going to follow because people make it happen and it's the extra stuff that goes on outside of the club that makes you a club doesn't it in my opinion I mean the end of season tours that I've been part of those are the things that I cherish the most and look back on the most that's as an adult and you know bump into some of the kids now and that's all they talk about remember when we went to Barcelona and Lisbon and played on Benfica's pitch and all these little extra things really hard work to organise but but absolutely well going back to the question none of those parents would have known that was coming down the line so how would they have made the right choice it's it's an impossible question to answer really isn't it yeah I think don't be sucked into trying them all to go around every single one and your kids have more clubs than Tiger Woods by the time they're 10 or 11 because um, you're looking for that perfect place or for that that one coach that says, your child's amazing and I can really see something in your child and I can help them be a pro and, you know, that type of that thing. That would be my red flag, by the way, is that's the thing why I like you so much, Pez, is there's a lot of people out there that will say what people want to hear because they'd like that child to come and play for their team. And I think you'll say what they need to hear. Not whether they dream. like it, yeah. Whether <laughs> yeah, they like it try. or not, whether it's the answer that they're chasing around to hear, or it's not, you'll tell them um, exactly what you think is the right thing to do, and you always have done. Thank you, Jeff. That's right, mate. Maybe leave it there. Um, <laughs> as uh, as I've said many times, football's not that important, but children are, and that should be the bottom line of everything. It's like Pez's final thought, that. Yeah, well, it's it? Maybe that should be a nice message. Well, guys, thank you um, for uh, coming back and kick-starting off Series 2 of the Inner Huddle podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. I almost had a good time with your pets. Almost <laughs> had a good time. Betsy, thank you very much, and we'll be seeing a lot, lot more of you, and uh, hopefully between the three of us we can uh, keep this going and uh, add a lot of value locally and even further afield. Yeah, lovely to be back. Thank you. Mm.